This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 51. Oh, jeez. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> this is a, this this is is a, a family show, house. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 51, and I'm Mark. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Stephen. Each week, we cover the news of the week, and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies, and games. This week's reviews are Shang-Chi, issue one, from Marvel Comics, Wonder Girl, issue one, from DC Comics, and the fourth and final season of Castlevania on Netflix. And spoiler warning, this is a review show, so if you have not had a chance to read Shang-Chi or Wonder Girl or watch Castlevania, you might want to pause this and come back later. And then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. Boom, back in the house, three of us. <laughs> the gang's all here. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the trinity of Geeks Unleashed is reunited. Yeah. So uh, thanks for coming back again, as usual. So our uh, our other host, Stephen, is back on, and uh, we're ready to uh, shoot the shit, as Jasmine says. Oh, yeah. So, off you go. All right, so kicking off news this week. Uh, the Highlander film is making headway hopefully it sticks we'll see uh the film that was announced back in 2016 uh is set to have henry cavill in it uh no word on which character he's going to be playing just that he is now attached to the highlander film now i don't know much about highlander but there can only be one i that i do know Mm -hmm. there can only be one (laughs) but wasn't the original highlander scottish yeah, uh-huh. because if he was, you had a whole Sam Ewan Heaglin from Outlander. Like, why? Oh, man, why? Yeah. Like, he he already wears kilts. Like, I mean, come on, he he could have been perfect in this role. I mean, I love Henry Cavill. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, why did they completely overlook Sam? That's that's my question for that one. Anyway, because Henry uh, wanted it. Well, this is true, <laughs> and you know what? Like, I'm I'm sure at this point. DC's been dicking around for so long with Superman that Henry Cavill was like, you know what, guys? Like, I told you before I wanted a franchise and you're not giving me what I want. So I'm leaving and I'm going to go find my franchise somewhere else. Maybe I'm going to get shit for this, but like, we're okay. But I love the TV series. Like, See, I, I remember like, the TV series. I don't think I've ever seen the Highlander movie. Fan. Oh, yeah. I was a huge yeah. fan. I saw all the movies, but I was a huge fan of the TV series. Honestly, I used to watch that. I think it came out like every Friday night when I was a kid over here in the UK. And yep. I remember watching that with like my mum and my brothers. So I remember like, my dad get home late from work and we just watch it. And oh, it was just so good. I used to love it. I think in the first episode from memory, Christopher Lambert was in the first ever episode. Now they did do a couple of TV um, movies of the TV series um, and the, and the movies like combined, I didn't watch those, but I remember watching like all of the TV series. Actually, now I'm saying that it's making me now want to like go back and watch those TV <laughs> series. But, but anyway, I, I would be quite up for Henry Cavill being, being the Highlander. Um, I think he actually would be a good Highlander. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd be okay. I, I, um, I mean, I just think he's a charming actor. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. I, and the first Highlander is the only one that I like. Anyway, we'll move on from Henry Cavill and this film that's been muted since 2016 and hopefully one day we'll, we'll, we'll rock up. So, uh, anyway, in other news, the Hashtag Show has reported a rumour uh, that Marvel is 
in develop is developing several uh, crossover type films, including Young Avengers. Let's be honest, we knew that one was on its way with all the little Young Avengers showing up here and there in Winter mm-hmm. Soldier and Hawkeye's got uh, the new Hawkeye Kate Bishop, and we know that the uh, um, Amazons in the yeah, and just, we just know that they're all they're all rocking around. So it's inevitable that Young Avengers is going to happen. Another one that they're potentially developing is a Dark Avengers slash Thunderbolts. Um, I was telling Jasmine about Thunderbolts ages ago. I remember that book came out around 97, 98, something like that. And it's honestly one of the best twists going. But I think if they're saying Dark Avengers slash Thunderbolts, you're kind of giving away the concept of Thunderbolts. So anyway, but they are also talking about a um, crossover film called Midnight Suns, which could potentially star Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, um, obviously everyone knows Elizabeth Olsen, uh, up and coming Blade and potentially Moon Knight as well, who's going to be played by Oscar Isaac in the Disney Plus TV series as well. So that's what I kind of love that as well, that they're going to be having this Disney Plus shared uh, movie universe, which is going to be a lot more cohesive than it has been before Disney Plus came around. Uh, The report also states that we might potentially have some new people in there, such as um, Ghost Rider, Hannibal King, Hellstrom, uh, as well, and the Ghost Rider that they're saying potentially could be would be the Johnny Blaze version. Oh God, um, does that mean they're bringing Nick Cage back? Or are we going to get a new Johnny Blaze? Uh, I don't think they'd be that foolish. <laughs> well, he's he's what noir Spidey at this point, so I think he's good. I really hope they don't bring in Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> so, anyway, Stephen, tell me about Judy Pleck. Yeah, so. Um, Julie Plant, for those of us, including me, who don't know who she is, uh, she's a writer, producer, <laughs> and director, best known for creating the expansive Vampire Diaries universe for the CW, um, based on uh, some YA novels uh, back in the day. Uh, she's branching out, going against type, really uh, taking some risks with her new project, um, <laughs> which is uh, wa- something wildly different called uh vamp- it's a uh, vampire academy uh, <laughs> how how different on, is it steven how, on... it's wildly different right <laughs> completely it is wildly different, different vein i mean no 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 it's a whole different word <laughs> vampire diaries vampire academy oh There's i see no... i see my bad <laughs> i'm so sorry and, and i know that the vampires were in high school but these vampires are in an academy so ah, okay it's uh anyway based on a group of novels by uh rochelle mead um Anyway, it's it's going to be appearing on Peacock. So different in three ways. Academy, it's going to be on Peacock, and it's based on a a, a series of novels that are are not Vampire Diaries. So, uh huh. <laughs> Don't you love it when you? Could you say it again? Sorry, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. <laughs> she's uh, she's well, she wanted to throw her two cents in. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she had something. Sorry, uh, Vampire Diaries yeah. is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> apparently the vampire academy is about two young women's friendship uh transcends their different classes uh as they prepare to complete their education and enter a royal vampire society um the first book in the series was previously adapted uh in a film oh yeah yeah i remember that film i have never watched it uh, in 2014, and uh, there's been six books sure published between two. Yeah. I have honestly haven't, honestly, I haven't. <laughs> no, I, I, I promise I haven't. 
I, actually, uh, I can see you landing back in your lazy yeah. boy, starting up some Hobbs and Shaw and topping it off with some Vampire Academy. <laughs> yes, you know what, though? Mark what? has his I... teeny buffer tendencies, as we like to tease. No, do you know what though? I, I, I do you know what? I, I did put it on once and I turned it off, and I can't remember why I turned it off, but I probably would probably would consider uh, watching it. There, there was a. I'm, uh, oh yeah, so so anyway, the, 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 the main the, the main actress uh, name was Zoe. Uh, I think it's Deutsch. So anyway, she was she was in a film that I did watch, which was again a bit teeny boppery, but I liked it because it was um I don't know, but I like Groundhog Day type things that are used well. So she was in a movie called Before I Fall, and so I watched that and I thought, oh, this is really good. And then I was like, oh, what else has she been in? And then I looked it up and I was like, Vampire Academy. I put it on, and within about sort of five minutes, I turned it off. I was like. I can't bother with this. Like, and, um, so <laughs> well, like, like, so may, yep. maybe one day I might revisit it. But I, yeah. So, but like you yeah. just said, Stephen, I, I a bit like Julie Plick. You know, I'm pleased to see she's taking risks and um, yeah, branching going, out, go, go, going outside her comfort yeah. zone and and doing something that's that's not in a school, um, but in an academy. And you know, there's some royal classes there. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, okay. this week's first review is Shang-Chi, issue one by Marvel Comics, which came out this week uh, in May 2021, and is one, what we've realised is, is one of several miniseries that have come out between now and 2019, I believe. However, I don't think any of us realised that when we picked up this first issue. It's written by names that I'm probably going to struggle with. Gene uh, Luen Yang. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Dyke Ruan, I think. Um, and Triona Farrell, I think I've got there. So uh, Triona Farrell is the colorist and illustrator is Dyke Ruan. So the, the first page, when I opened the first page, I was like, ah, oh, literally. And when I say the first page, it's before we even go into the artwork. I, so basically, we all probably saw the amazing trailer that came out about two or three weeks ago for Shang-Chi and the, 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 the Ten Rings that is due to come out later in the year. And so this first issue was out and the three of us were like, yeah, yeah, let's pick it up. Let's read it. And then the first page literally says previously, and I'll literally read a few previously, a few months ago, Shang-Chi discovered his father's cult-like organization, the Five Weapons Societies, was still active. Even more surprising was the appearance of his long-lost siblings who proclaimed him as their new leader. Now Shang-Chi has inherited his father's legacy, but changing the society's evils ways won't be easy. Um, And then it says Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe Part 1. And I was like, oh, okay, there's a lot of shit like that I probably should know about before I've gone into this issue. Um, so I thought, okay, look, you know, I do read Marvel and DC, and sometimes you pick up random things here and there. So you kind of know that when you're reading the shared universe, especially a shared universe that's been existing since, well, I mean, Captain America was like the 40s, and all these characters go back that far. And I know we've had various reboots and rejigs, and they've very rarely refer to events back in the 60s and 70s. Normally, most things they refer to are probably in the last five or six years because, you know, that's probably about as far back as most people are actually going to go. So I was like, okay, maybe this should be pretty easy to pick up. And on the first page, Shang-Chi is on a date with a lady who uh, he goes by the name, uh, she goes by the name of Delilah. And actually, to be fair, the first two pages of them two on a date, I felt like the writer did fairly well in getting me into this book without having to have picked up however many miniseries has been out in the last sort of 12, 18 months. Although I have I have to say my overall enjoyment of this miniseries does make me consider want to go and pick them up. 
I mean, not right now, but like at some point, I would probably consider picking them up because I did. I did actually enjoy the overall book, um, and I did feel that he did a good, a really good job of sort of kind of explaining a little bit about him becoming the leader of this five weapon society. Now, I've never re- read a Shang Chi uh, comic before in my life. Literally, this is the first one I've ever read. So, and a lot of that is because the movie is coming is around the corner, and I thought, you know, <clears> let's, <throat> let's 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 find out a little bit more about him. Yeah. And um, if you have a Comixology Unlimited subscription, most of those other mini series from Shang-Chi are available on Unlimited and you can read them for free. Oh, I don't, I don't have Unlimited over here in the UK, which is a bit annoying. Um, we have Kindle Unlimited, so I can have a look and see if they're on there. But um, so his date comes to kind of an abrupt end. So through the first two pages, he's having a little text message conversation with his sister who and i actually have to say i thought it was hilarious some of these text message conversations i'll stab him i'll stab him through the hand only he won't die can i have permission i was like i was like laughing at this i was like i shouldn't be laughing at this but i was laughing at this and he's like don't you dare don't you dare switches off his phone so the next thing you know is the villain gets slammed across like the window like and then he's like what are you doing and he's like you've turned off your phone like okay well you're a terrible leader of this organization like you're not taking it seriously if you turn off your phone yeah exactly and then anyway she she clearly is like do you know what she's probably a bit like um damien from um batman like in terms of how ruthless she is so you know like batman's son she has very much got that about her like damien doesn't give a shit he goes off on his own he sees himself almost as superior to Batman. He's ruthless. He's not, you know, he's kind of just, you know, you know, he's very much like his own man and doesn't care. Like, and she, and Esme comes across very much like that. I've never obviously read even a single thing with Esme in before. Well, I have to say, I really like this character. I thought she was pretty cool. So out pops the knife. She's ready to slice him and dice him. And what I loved was out of nowhere drops in Spider-Man. I mean, we knew Spider-Man was going to be in it. He's on the front cover. So... <laughs> And uh, like, but I did love the whole thing of Spider-Man just jumping in, and he's like, "Oh well, you know, I'm a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man," and he's like, "Yeah, you know, you know your stuff." So I, I quite liked, I quite liked it. And they sort of make some jokes about, um, you know, watching videos on the internet, etc., and stole my dagger and blah blah blah. And then what happens is it's a classic, classic team up. Shang Chi and uh, Spider-Man go decide to join forces and um, go looking for this um, uh, sort of. Uh, drug den and they go to this uh what you call it chinese medicine store and and they sort of team up and they keep keep not wanting spider-man to come with them uh but spider-man is inserting himself in there which i (laughs) I think i think he i think they must although he refers to the spider sense a few times like and was it going off or not i don't think this is not spider sense this is more like gut instinct here his gut i think spider-man was obviously something's not right they keep telling me not to come I think he was completely aloof like because he when they first met up Spidey was like oh I'm chasing a weapons deal and Shang-Chi was like oh well I'm chasing a a drug dealer Um, and then Spidey's like oh maybe our cases are related and Shang-Chi's like no they're not related I promise and Spidey's like no no I'm pretty sure they're related so let's do this I I I don't know whether he I don't know whether he thought they were related or not necessarily, but I think because Shang-Chi was like, no, 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 they're not related. Spider-Man's like, well, I'm coming. Like, you know, probably, you know, Spider-Man's an experienced hero to know probably if someone's taking him around and that whether he should get involved. And I think there was later on in the issue where Spider-Man is like, are we still even on the same side? Because once he finds out the revelation that he's now in charge of this 
basically it's like a sort of a gang a bit like the hand if anyone's seen daredevil and or red daredevil it's 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 basically like it comes across to me like the hand like that he's been put in charge of it and um so they have this team up and they get into this drug den and what i love is that after all the catching of the bad guys etc spider-man gets transformed into this like horrible monster thing and it kind of reminded me of um i don't know if you guys saw the animated tv series of spider-man in the 90s and i know i know it was in the comics as well but i remember watching it in the 90s where he started having, there was a season where he was having the mutation and he was slowly growing extra arms and stuff do you guys remember that or not no yes. oh, oh, yeah okay. it was you, you remember it yeah yeah and uh it reminded yeah. me of that when he started when he started seeing all these extra arms growing from him it really reminded me of that thing from the 90s and and him going nuts and all this kind of stuff and i and i thought you know what comics always looking for a reason for superheroes to have a classic um <laughs> fight so there was no real reason to make it so even though there'd been i guess so there probably is a little bit of distrust once he finds out that he's leading this gang there's still no over reason uh, over overly um obvious reason for them to have a fight so let's just turn spider-man into a monster like and and chang chi's obviously telling esme not to kill him like, which, which is she's cool. very disappointed about that <laughs> like, like, i think i think esme just doesn't need a reason to kill people yeah like, <laughs> i like her uh, oh no it's, you know what? like i'd say like reading this book i i'm hoping that her character's in the film <clears> like oh, or if she's not in the sequel to whatever film that it will no doubt get so um she's definitely going to be the next like shuri or something like that to me in terms of popularity um but anyway so i love the team up and then she, he basically has to call in his father's organization to come do the mop up of all the drugs and stuff like that. Spider Man's sort of laying there on the floor, and and I do love that. He turns to him, and it, the way it's drawn though is is so like Spider Man. Obviously, is a notorious joker. Like he he you know he's he's he loves the one liners and stuff like that. But when Spider Man looks at him, and he's like, "You still one of us?" And then Shang Chi's like, "What well, does your spider sense tell you?" And, and sort of off they go. Like, but I thought to myself. Spider-Man, yeah, okay, he made plenty of jokes throughout the issue, but right at that very end, Spider-Man was deadly serious. Like, mm-hmm. and it's got me intrigued just to know like how mm-hmm. far we're going to go with this. So Shang Chi is is obviously the the hero is a hero, which I, again I'm not as familiar with him. I can't remember ever reading him in anything, but I, I may have done, but I don't remember ever reading a Shang Chi book. And it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger with the guy at the uh, what's it called the uh, the king wild man who had the drugstore um getting an offer from somebody in the shadows and and then next issue it's alluding to the fact that shang chi is going to be versus captain america so i'm quite pumped this book i enjoyed it i actually i liked the art style as well so the art very much reminded me of sort of uh, uh, sort of late mid mid late uh 1990s art style kind of like very um, classic comic booky. Yeah, it's very classic comic book. It's nothing, you know. It's I, yeah, and there's detail in there, and the, and the, even love the coloring as well. You know, I I think the, the use of colors was great in the right places. I actually like the point where they got looking up at the sky, and the sky's all purple and above some weird heli heli carrier thing. And but the coloring does change as well throughout the book as well. It doesn't just it doesn't just keep sort of one tone, um, depending on what's going on. Like when the when Spider Man's going a bit crazy 
you know, there's a lot of use of dark colouring reds and, and dark browns and stuff like that. But anyway, I overall, I enjoyed this book. I thought it was a really nice read. E- even though there was clearly a lot that happens before you read this issue, mm-hmm. I felt like the first two or three pages got you up to date pretty quickly. However, it's got me intrigued to go and read more. But yeah, what do you two think? I don't think I would continue with this series, but it did make me want to go back and read at least a little bit more about Shang-Chi. So I'm probably going to check out some of those unlimited uh, volumes that I can get into for free. But I don't really care about how he interacts with the Avengers. So. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the, the Spider-Man cameo was a little bit unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't mind having like uh, an extra character pop in, but the first issue of a character's own book, I just would rather it focus on them, you know? I guess for all the people that have read the previous miniseries, they've probably had those miniseries about the heroes, and maybe this yeah. is just a, you know, Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe. It might be a way to essentially have expanded beyond, like, me and you. Like, you know, like, well, this is the first yeah. book we've picked up, but we may, like, some people may also they be their first book because they see the other heroes on the front cover. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it depends what you know. If you're if you're a massive Spider-Man fan and you think and you find out Spider-Man's in the first issue, you might go, "Oh, do you know what? I'll check that out." So I can understand why yeah. Marvel marketing are probably behind. You know, the Marvel yeah. marketing machine obviously will try and come up with new ways to grab readers. As a character, well, though, I, I I quite liked Shang Chi. Came across as actually. A hero in a difficult spot like he came across as quite an honorable character yeah because he said very, at some yeah. point that his his ultimate goal is to dismantle the organization but in order mm. to dismantle it he has to actually run it for a little bit mm. yeah I, so. I, as a character he probably had a bit that uh, had something that was i found like appealing mm-hmm. like he was and, and his relationship with his sister as well just that whole dynamic I, yeah I was very much into him and the, and the sister and the relationship with them I'd like yeah I, I, it's made me curious to go and jump back I probably wouldn't be keen yeah. to pick up issue two without actually having read what came before right not I obviously didn't know that when I picked this up um I thought these were kind of like standalones like I thought they were just Shang-Chi I, I knew there was had been other miniseries but I'd made the assumption that they and that was my assumption that they were books that you could just pick up with Shang-Chi on different adventures you know like a bit like um mm-hmm. I don't know James every time you pick up a James Bond movie or something like that they're just one-offs generally um and so I, I assumed it was that thing, kind of thing. And yeah, okay, you go through the first couple of pages and you can get into it. But I, I want to go back and read the first couple yeah. of the miniseries. So I'd be keen to step back and maybe even some, maybe, maybe, maybe I should be looking at maybe some of his earlier stuff, like from the 70s or something when he first came out. I'm sure, sure some of that stuff's on that comicology thing as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, well, bring, was, sorry. Oh, sorry go, go. What were you going to say? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, um, for me, honestly, I I really liked, I really liked the overall feel. Like <clears throat> I could definitely see what you were talking about as far as feeling a little bit like you fell into the middle of a story. Mm. But um, I actually kind of liked it for a couple of reasons. One is it the cast was already established. It felt a lot more like um, a starting point from that perspective with his sister yeah. because. And the first couple of pages when he's on the date, they do an, a really good job of establishing what his character is like, his situation and his relationship with his sister. And like the date was a very classic Marvel interpersonal yeah. scene. 
Um, you know what I mean? And it, it, um, I just thought it set the, set the tone really well. I liked the, the story, even though it wasn't self-contained in the broader sense, I did feel like this issue was one self-contained issue with a, with kind of a, a situation that arose was solved. And then a little bit of, you know, what's going to happen next. Like this, I like my art. Um, yeah. My, my only real complaint was the Spider-Man thing, but that's one of my, that's one of my frustrations with modern comics. And you're absolutely right. As far as like the marketing, bringing in bigger characters to kind of spike that, that interest by people who don't know who Shang-Chi is, but like, Marvel has diluted their currency with fans to a pretty significant degree with the way they do business, like not even the way they tell stories. But this this book was a very classic Marvel style story. But just like you said, how many Shang-Chi number ones have there been? Um, Marvel's Marvel's approach to characters like Shang-Chi that are not a, not a top tier character is to give them a series and then cancel it and then give them a series and then cancel it. And the reason they do that is because the first and second issue, the sales on any first and second issue are tremendous. And then they fall off a cliff very quickly. Um, so it's just, it's frustrating. This should have been like an issue in a, in a longer line of a, of a series um, instead of a, a, like the fifth number one in however many years. But that being said, this story, the art, um, for me at least, I loved it because it was a good balance of modern storytelling with a lot of those classic Marvel um, dynamic shots, everything was off angle. Everything had a focal point and led from, you know, from it wasn't just talking heads. It was never just a very simple straight on angle. It was really well done. It reminded me a lot of um, Pete Woods. Um, he uh, he was an artist that did a long run on Robin with Chuck Dixon back in the day, um, and it just reminded me a lot of that story. So for me, it was a really the art was a really great experience. Um, and it was just a simple story, wasn't terribly detailed, but uh, I know what you yeah, mean I about Chuck it. Dixon. Like Chuck Dixon did um, uh, the original Nightwing run, um, which mm -hmm. I I loved. I, did you yeah. read the original Nightwing run? Yeah, yeah, with yeah, Scott McDaniel's one of my favorite artists. Um, yeah, yeah, he actually did. He, he did the Batman, the extended Batman family for a good while. Um, and then just he went off to Crossgen, and when he left, they that it really create a path for him to come back. So that's probably a bad move. This is why we him. keep Steven around. He brings up good <laughs> points like focal points in the panels of the comics. I love it. <laughs> well, I I love comic art, and this this comic art was modern, but it still had it still adhered to like what I consider the Marvel House style. So. Anyway, if you're a fan of classic Marvel, I think you'll love this book. I, yeah, I, it definitely had that. It definitely had the classic Marvel art feel. Um, before yeah. we move on, actually, did you ever read any Cross Gen? I read a, a bit. Uh, to be honest, I found the art really amazing, top level. Um, I yeah. just none of the characters really resonated with me. Like the fantasy um, setting wasn't wasn't one that I was super into. Um, but I think I would probably like it now that I'm older a little bit. The art is was amazing though. I'm pretty sure like Marvel bought the Cross Gen. Uh, yeah they did they bought crossgen and malibu um the ultraverse and then they're not doing anything with any of them <laughs> <laughs> they just bought them so no one else can have them well yeah, i think that's exactly it they just bought yeah. them so no one else can use yeah. them and they, they've just probably got no intention of ever using them so, so that, but that's it locked away 
Um, maybe one day yeah. they'll use them if they really need to, but they, yeah. So, no, anyway. So, but yeah, so just to finish that off, ratings wise, we rated the art four out of five and story 3.5 out of five. And then uh, this week we're kind of doing, mixing it up a little bit and doing uh, two comics. So, the second comic that we covered is another number one. Um, it's Wonder Girl. And um, this is a character, um, is, what is her last name? It's Yara. Yara Floor. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, she was basically uh, the Wonder Girl that spun out of Future State, um, and it, she her popularity just kind of skyrocketed. Um, she was one of the standout characters from that that series of books. Um, anyway, it's it's based on um, her being raised in the far off far off land of Boise, Idaho. <laughs> uh, Yara Flora was always felt something was missing from her life, and now she's headed to Brazil to find it. Um, Little does she know that her arrival has set off a series of events that will change the world of Wonder Woman forever. Her return has been prophesied, and while that prophecy comes with, <clears throat> comes with that prophecy comes the undivided attention of benevolent gods from pantheons beyond. The danger lurks around every corner, but this young hero, is this young hero ready for the journey? Find out in the debut issue. This absolutely cannot miss. <laughs> so um, it's, it, the setup is really interesting, and um for me, I thought that the art was um, just unbelievable. It's, mm-hmm. but, um, and then the, the story, I've, for me, the story was, was a little mature, um, not meaning that it was, um, not meaning the content is not appropriate for kids necessarily. Although you uh, mentioned something um, interesting to that point, Jasmine, I'll let you talk about more, but the, I just felt like it was a, a slower paced, more intentional kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, several different settings it was a very modern style of storytelling that was not linear um for me the standout was the art uh this so many pages in this book could just be a coffee table book um where you're just uh, loving the art and then honestly i would read prose um just as happily as reading this as a comic just to get the word balloons off the art um and it's um it's just it's a really Elements of it are really inspired by um, like an art deco approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it really leans into that, the sort of Grecian and, and um, like the, the Amazonian aesthetic that's been established in DC. Um, and honestly, this, I did not know the name of uh, Joel Jones, the illustrator and writer, um, which that's um, kind of embarrassing because she's uh, amazing. Um, and her approach to illustration um, she has a site, joelljones.com, that if you appreciate comic art, it's just um, amazing. She has some of her, her pinup work there just to, you know, demonstrate what she can do. And it, uh, the breadth of what she can do, monster design, um, the, the, just the composition on the page is just uh, unbelievable. So for me, I didn't love the story, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, the illustrations were really enthralling. Um, but it, 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 I, I'm a very specific audience type because I, I like, um, especially when it features a, what I would consider a superhero, I like kind of a superhero story. Mm-hmm. And that is not always the highest quality story, but it's a, it includes several things. And this was not a superhero story in the traditional sense. Not even really an origin do, story either. Not yeah, either. exactly. Yeah. Well, what I feel like it did very well is demonstrated her character right. um, as a hero and yeah. like what she is like and how the world kind of reacts to her um so anyway that's kind of how i felt about it what did what did you guys think 
I, I mean, the artwork is absolutely amazing. It was like, we were kind of joking before the podcast about if you were scoring Shang-Chi versus this, Shang-Chi gets a much lower score. So it's a bit <laughs> unfair to, to compare. You had to kind of look at what you're reading separate. But I've, re- I've read some of Joel Jones' stuff before and her illustrations are always just phenomenal. Like we talked about this when we read the Future State books, actually, like just... How, how the art was completely stand out and although I think even with the two future state books the kind of the story wasn't wasn't brilliant like it was kind of just yeah. I guess all those future state books they suffered from the same problem though because a lot of them were two issues and other than the next Batman and Dark Detective which were four issues uh, the other future states were all sort of around two issues maybe three issues at, at a push and um but however, Joel Jones did honestly flex her muscles in those future state books, and um, so yeah, uh, I love Joel but, Jones so much. I've loved her yeah, for a I long think, time. I think this artwork is so good. I mean, so you know, the double panel, and I shared this on our Instagram the double panel where yeah. you see all the way through Catwoman, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. uh, Oracle, you know, all the yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's a great load of hit. I mean, she honestly really must be loving doing this double page. You've got Harley Quinn, Nightwing holding the dog. Um, you obviously got some Amazonians. I mean, that 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 image there of Superman as well, and um, and then the other Wonder Girl from Teen Titans, the um, or the uh, Young uh, Justice, as they as they have recently been. It's just amazing where she's like, you know, I don't know if it's just me or the jet lag, but it feels like the whole world is looking over my shoulder right now, and suddenly yeah. you've got this whole thing. I mean. That's a very like that whole thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's very almost a little bit like I love myself a little bit. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I. But, but she came off stuff, cocky even in Future State when we meet her and she's fighting dinosaurs in Future State. Like she, yeah. she's all she's practically fearless. But I, I don't know, like the introduction of the character when we met her in future state and now we get to go back in time to like before she is this big badass in in future state and just to see that that aspect of her was always there that attitude was always there uh that was really exciting Mm -hmm. and i i still think that joelle does such expressive like features in in Mm. the women that she draws and so it's just this, this is the kind of book where I, I probably flipped through. Now, I, I did get digital, but I flipped through just to look at the pictures three times. So I, I read it yeah. the first time and then I went back again and I was just like looking, taking, it, taking in all of the illustrations because, again, I love her work so much. And one of the things that I think is kind of funny, Yara actually kind of looks like Joelle. Um, and she's got, <laughs> she's got that same like signature lip pout that Joelle Jones has. which <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, and what's, what Stephen was saying earlier, the, the book being kind of dark, like, it's rated 13, um, but, like, the first, maybe, like, five or six pages is a very dark sort of yeah. story with some invaders coming into the jungle in Brazil, and uh, Yara is a small child, and she attacks them, and the person that speaks is kind of, literally says, oh, dear, <laughs> I don't like the optics of killing a child. And I was like, first of all, yeah. who the hell talks that way? Wearing a getup like the getup that you're wearing. Um, because he looked like some kind of like Roman or or, or Greek soldier or Spartan or something. I assume, it's, I assume it's like a god of war. Or yeah, like. it could be Ares. Um, but it was just really funny. And so instead of killing Yara, he ends up killing, I'm assuming, her mother. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like people get their heads lopped off in the first few pages, and I was like, damn, this is thirteen, yeah. really? Okay, mm. all right. But then but then also well, then when she's on the bus later in um, Brazil, like mm-hmm. the 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 flirting and clearly like a bit of sexualization going on and stuff like that, where he's mm-hmm. clearly like looking her up and down, and yeah, like you say, that's definitely you know more than thirteen plus. But yeah. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing unnecessary here this isn't a zenoscope yeah, she, yeah she's not like, in her yeah. uh wonder woman garb <laughs> like she was in future state she's fully yeah. clothed she's wearing like jeans uh and a hoodie yeah. uh so you know she just looks like a normal well, person nothing hero like about her yeah well i'll say too man uh just talking back uh talking about the expressive figures and some of that stuff um I, she, uh joel draws uh the most beautiful people Mm-hmm. and it it's so like <clears throat> they're not like the traditional beautiful people in comics um they're again like that that kind of classic art deco fine art um approach mm-hmm. um they're just they're just so well drawn um anyway i just think it's interesting but on the other side of that one of the things that and i you know talking about i, I always talk about things that frustrate me about modern comics are the the comic cover variants so you have um you have an artist like joel jones that we've all kind of gushed about but you have these variants from other artists why would you ever do that um you know what i mean it's like if i if i bought this book that's the art you know what i mean and i mm-hmm. flip through the interiors any other artist it's like why would you mismatch like that you know yeah um, especially and it's not a slam on J. Scott Campbell, but J. Scott Campbell made his career on drawing very, um, very uh, voluptuous kind of you know, unrealistic women. Mm-hmm. And it's completely counter to what this book is trying to do. Uh, but he's still one of the variant artists because he's a hot artist. You know what right. I mean? Anyway, that was just one of the, that was just a side observation um, about comics in general. <laughs> So then I guess this is a woman drawing a woman rather than J. Scott Campbell is a man drawing a woman, probably. Yeah. Um, however, though, yeah. he freely admit he freely, I think, admits, so like, when he's drawing stuff, you know, he, yeah. he's aware of how he's drawing them, um, but also he is aware, like I saw something recently about how people have been editing his work, like, online to make them oh, correct. Oh, man, yeah. Like, and um, yeah. I think he actually took it quite well. Like he, he yeah. said, he said a lot of the time I normally ignore people editing my work, but he said, but he got on board of it. Like, and um, I think he kind of took it as a bit of a challenge to go and edit his own work and stuff like that. Um, and then I saw yeah. something from J. Scott Campbell recently, where as well, where he talked about how he adds his own style to each character, like Black Cat, uh, Mary, yeah. Mary Jane, um, as well. well like, and, and yeah. he, do, he does different things. Like, I think I can't remember which one of them it is, but one of them, Black Cat or Mary Jane, he deliberately in every picture has uh, all the hair to one side. He kind of adds his yeah. own. Um, uh, I, 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 I uh, artistic slant to each thing, but anyway, but yeah. Joe Jones, I like. I mean, you can tell it's a book by her, like a hundred percent. So, I mean, I read some of the Catwoman that she did, and I can't remember. I've read other things by her as well, but her artwork, her, I think she'll always be known for her artwork. But this story, I did enjoy the story. I'm gonna say it whizzed through really quickly, and I think when you said you read it three times. 
probably pretty easy to read it three times because the story yeah. was quite simple. Like, not I don't want to say that. Yeah. It's, it's not, not in a bad way, though. Not in a bad way. It was, yeah. but it was an easy, nice it read. It was an easy read. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, it's an easy read, and and sometimes you know, sometimes actually, an easy read is quite nice, and then yeah. you know, it allows you to enjoy the artwork, which is one of the reasons why we read comics and not novels. Right. Like, yeah, you know, I right. still read books, but like, I read far more comics than I do books, and. When this book ends, it ends on a, a cliffhanger mm-hmm. and she gets sucked into the water. And I mean, do you know what? That last page, though, or the last yeah. two pages, yeah. where she gets pulled in and she's sort of like in a weird, I don't know, sort of bent a bit backwards in the water and there's singing all around her. Honestly, that was so good. Again, just the artwork, like, mm-hmm. phenomenal. And then this, I, I don't know who the character is. I have to put my hands up and say I don't know, but it's a sort of an underwater sort of snake type creature some sort of mermaid like some kind of yeah. siren or something yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah that's what i wondered mm-hmm. and um under the water singing and then that, that that's sort of the end of it part one homecoming so you know hero's journey begins next but I, i'm definitely up for reading more of this yeah so i 100%. i just yeah definitely anytime i have and i don't need anything other than like an excuse like i don't need an excuse to read uh, anything that joelle jones is doing like i said i've always been a fan of her artwork and it, it's there's something just so to me like unique about the way that she captures the features of all of these different women because there's lots of different uh like eras of women that she puts in here and one of the things like it's it's always something that comes up but like especially when when comics artists are drawing black hair um Mm -hmm. it's it's like sometimes they don't get it right and it's like not every like you can't draw a black character with the same hair as you would draw like a supergirl for instance you know like so there's a, a point in here where there's a a nubia actually who is taken over as the queen of the amazons and like she gets the the braids in in Nubia's yes. hair like Sorry. so perfect, and it's just like this is this is the kind of stuff that I love. Where it's it's not you. It's I mean yes, it's it's her putting her signature look on everything, but at the same time, like you're still respecting the the subject itself, um, and and like you're taking the time to go through and and do it right versus just doing it your way. Um, so I, I just, like I said, I, I love her artwork and I am going to continue like, I, so, uh, this wonder girl series and anything with Yara floor at this point, it's, it's now the second comic series that anytime it comes out, I will pick it up. Um, mm-hmm. the, second to firepower. Like I, I just, I love her work so much. And I think that it's everything in everything about Yara floor is so gorgeous that I, I pick it up. Like I did get the digital copy. But this weekend, when I go to the comic shop, I am going to pick up a physical copy as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was glad to read. Hey? Oh, that's uh, <clears throat> that's one of your. Every time I mention getting a digital copy, you're like, you should swing by the store and, and pick a copy up. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, no, I, that's I, always I, what Mark says. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just think the, pro- the, pro- the price of a digital comic versus a paper copy is pretty much identical. So why would you buy digital? Like, I just. Um, yeah. It's I the instant that. Like, gratification, yeah. Mark. No, no, I mean, I read, I read Shang-Chi, I read Shang-Chi digitally because we decided today that we were going to read it and I couldn't be bothered to go and drive to the comic shop, but, um, but then I know that I wasn't that bothered about it. I think if I'm not that bothered about it, I don't mind reading digital, but if it's something that I want to have, I would always buy the paper, like, yeah. and, um, so if I'm not that bothered, I'm happy with digital, but I know that this is something I want, so, which is, probably says a lot, the fact that I wanted 
wanted this. So yeah. I, I got yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and um, so I was pleased. I was pleased to get it. And I, I overall, I love this book and I would, I would love to see more. And which is proof again that DC have been doing some, this kind of this infinite frontier that they've been doing has been, I actually think a lot of the books that have got the infinite frontier treatment, you know, Superman, action comics, um, even Nightwing. I haven't read Nightwing for years. I've been picking up Nightwing recently. Their infinite frontier has been really cool. Like, I've been really enjoying everything they've been doing, their new Robin book. And it's just Wonder Girl again is another book that is, is doing really well. And I hope it continues. I hope this first issue kind of sets the bar mm-hmm. and well, hopefully she can keep smashing that bar. So, yeah. You know, just, well, I also um, appreciate the, 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 because I would say this is probably the second female character that they've introduced that I have loved from the very first moment that I met her. Um, Punchline is the other one. So I'm, I'm glad oh, that they're yeah, actually yeah. putting some stake into women characters that are not just set pieces or that are not just tools mm-hmm. or foils, like they're actual fully developed characters. So um, yeah, so Punchline and Yara Floor are like my two favorite DC women at the moment. So we rated this five out of five, of course, and, um, <laughs> and we gave it four out of five. Like you know, we no issues with the story, but we 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 you know we probably do you know what I probably would have said this would be higher if they did release a double issue and just given us a bit bit of a chunk of first issue read. Yeah. yeah, 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 or maybe like an extra ten pages or something like that to serve a four ninety nine issue instead of a three ninety nine issue. Yeah, only only just for the first issue. I don't want to pay four ninety nine on going, but like maybe the first issue could have got a little bit more meat and mm. uh, would have been good to uh, you know. But anyway, Wonder Girl, I'm down for issue two. Yeah. So consensus, we loved it. All right, <laughs> jumping right into the next piece. You've changed. I hope so. I believe you have as well. Let him sleep, Hector. We were both mistreated by the human world. We were both admirers of Dracula's intellect. We both saw something bigger than ourselves in him. We both wanted to see the world punished. We can do more than that. Dracula earned his rest. We can and should move forward. Castlevania, (laughs) season four. Oh my God, okay. Um, Mark always gives me a lot of shit. He's before we started, he was like, "Oh, I guess you're gonna take Castlevania." But yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that because <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, okay, so that, is, that was a joke, anyway. Like, I mean, yeah, I just, yeah, like, I know. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, what I'm saying is, I am extremely predictable in the things that I do like. <laughs> so <laughs> it is no surprise to anyone that I completely love the fourth season of Castlevania. Um, this is the fourth and final season. Now, Netflix did announce that they were going to be doing other things in the Castlevania universe. Oh, I miss that because I actually did think like a spinoff would be good. Sorry, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, so Sorry. it's not going to be like a direct spinoff. They're not going to be the same characters. They're bringing in all new characters, but they're going to be in the same world. Oh, so whatever okay. that looks well, like, I have no idea, but uh, yeah. who knows? Uh, but this, as far as this run, um, I almost feel like it's cheating, but like, to me, this was a perfect final season. It, it, everything about it 
was great. Mm-hmm. All the storylines get wrapped up. Every character has an ending. Uh, there is nothing left in limbo. There are no cliffhangers. There are no gotcha moments. There are no nothing frivolous about it. It's 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes 10 episodes can feel like too much. But each one of these episodes is jam-packed with amazing dialogue probably some of the best dialogue in the entire series um battle sequences that are great actually oh, the fight scenes in the fourth season are above and beyond what we've seen in the other seasons which says a lot because this this whole series has been great as far as the animation goes even the animation kind of feels a little different in this season it feels everybody feels a little bit more expressive there's a lot more uh effort put into the facial expressions that everyone is making in in this fourth and final season and it's there's no shortage of conflict even with the smallest minor characters there there's conflict but there's again by the time everything is said and done we've we've got all the conflicts resolved in some kind of way the way that they wrap this up into a nice neat bow is to me just phenomenal storytelling to take four seasons now all of the seasons are not as fantastic uh none of them are bad but uh none of them are well maybe the the first season but like the second season was my favorite before the fourth season uh and now the fourth season is by far my absolute favorite of castlevania um my (laughs) i'm sorry i'm so excited i'm talking really fast but (laughs) like i just it's so much. And it's one of those things where kind of like, sometimes you feel like, oh, this could be overstuffed. You know, like there's there's too much happening and I'm confused as to what's going on. But even though there is big stories happening with every single group of characters in the series, you don't ever feel overwhelmed by what's happening. You don't feel overwhelmed by what's going on. Um, it's just, everything was tightened up for the better in in this fourth season the the humor was tight and it landed just right they dealt with a lot of heavy themes but they dealt with them in a way that they didn't have to cheapen any of the the weight of the themes themselves uh the heroes got to be the big heroes and the villains got to be the really really bad villains um and and i felt like for the first time there there were no useless or wasted characters everyone ever even even villagers like everyone had a purpose and everyone's purpose came to a a conclusion by the time everything was said and done um so i (laughs) again to no surprise to anyone i loved everything about this season now the best episode by a country mile in my opinion uh for this fourth season was the sixth episode and again this spoiler like we haven't been talking about spoilers the whole time but spoilers the sixth mm-hmm. episode is when Isaac finally makes his move um, and attacks Carmilla's castle. Well, Carmilla, being the bad bitch that she is, decides, you know what? You you can fight me all you want and you can kill all I can kill half of your night creature army, but you know what? I am not gonna die by your hands. I'm not going to, ain't no man, as what's her face says in uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I am no man. Uh, no man is going to take me down. And the way that she goes out, I mean, she just goes out in a literal blaze of glory because she kills herself before Isaac has the chance to do it for her. Um, but she has this great 
speech in the second episode uh, where her plan has changed because originally they were just going to build the pen from their castle to Brela. So all of that land is about 80 miles in between or 800 miles in between that they were going to control as vampires. Well, she, she be- decided that her ambition was not big enough. So she was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, we can just take over the whole world. Um, and to me, she's the perfect example of like a woman who was hurt so badly in her like previous mm-hmm. life before she was turned to a vampire, like hurt so badly by men that it affected her in such a way that her entire motivation is to take things from stupid, evil men stupid evil old men um and so that that's kind of her thing like the castle that they all stay in now she took that from the guy who turned her into a vampire and it's i love that about her i i love that she's just kind of like you know we when when we got attacked by the wolf people as she calls them we called Mm -hmm. out to the other vampires for help and you know what they said no we're not going to help you because you guys are just a bunch of women like why should we come to your aid and it's just like nobody holds a grudge like Carmilla and I love her for it because she was so dedicated to the grudge um and I just I take everything from stupid evil old men I just I love that I'm gonna freaking tattoo that somewhere on my body (laughs) so like I just I loved her story and and the contrast kind of between Carmilla and Lenore because Lenore you know she was the one that turned Hector um in the second season but Lenore became this kind of she's like well I mean I've served my purpose and now I feel like I don't have anything to do like there's no diplomacy anymore because your your world domination plan doesn't include diplomacy um but the contrast between Carmilla and Lenore I think it maybe it just goes to show the age difference because Lenore is like well if you get world domination like are you going to be happy and Carmilla's kind of like it's not really about happiness like it's it's about enough like this this is what I want this is what I feel like I'm owed and I'm gonna take it and will I be happy well I don't know but you know we'll find out when we get there and something about her confidence like she never has any questions she never has any doubt in herself or her plan she knows without a shadow of a doubt she's like this is gonna happen I'm I'm taking over the world and anybody who doesn't want to get in line they're gonna get crushed under my boot um so to to watch her fall the way that she fell, but she went out on her own terms. So I, like I was literally sitting on my couch and I was like, "That's some bad bitch shit right there." Like I love it. Yes. Um. So that was that was a relationship that I really liked was just showing the difference between Lenore's kind of not necessarily naive, but she was kind of naive. Um. But just to show the difference between her point of view and not understanding Carmilla's ambition. Uh, was was a fantastic contrast. It kind of reminds me of Hector and Isaac a little bit because Hector himself is also very naive. Um, and Isaac to me had, he's been my favorite character since he was introduced in the second season. And his arc is phenomenal. He, he literally goes from being a slave to being picked up by Dracula, kind of cleaned up and, and propped up and, and told like, you can do great things. Uh, he becomes like a, a general or Dracula's right-hand man. Dracula even saves his life when Dracula, right before Dracula dies. And then Isaac is back into the world, a world that doesn't accept him at all. So he still makes his way. 
And as he's doing so, like he finally comes to his own conclusions. Uh, we can see it starting to happen kind of at the end of the third season. But in this fourth season, we see Isaac go from this kind of almost like a lost puppy to someone who has reclaimed his own agency. And that's actually a word that he uses in the series where he's talking to Hector and he's like, you know, I have decided that uh, I want to live. Like I found my agency and that's what I want to do. And I literally cried uh, at that episode because I was like, oh my God, do you, you, whoever wrote this, like, do you have any idea how powerful it is for someone who came from literally nothing, who used to belong to another person for that person to finally stand up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm over the revenge thing. Like, fuck it. I, I would rather live my own life. And what that life looks like, I have no idea, but I have my own agency now. So I'm, I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. Um, so I thought Isaac's arc was beautiful over the, over the course of the series, just to, to literally watch him come into himself. Um, it, was, it was really fun to watch. And then of course, Alucard, uh, who they did Alucard so dirty at the end of season three with those uh, with the two people that betrayed him. So it was it was great to see him because he did fall into <laughs> when we first see him this time around. He first of all he's drunk very early in the morning, um, and he's like <laughs> peeing on the one of the stakes that he has one of these night creature dead bodies hanging from, and it's just kind of like. <laughs> what happened to you like you used to be this you know regal noble type of guy and now you got you went from having two bodies on stakes you got like 10 bodies on stakes at your front door (laughs) you're pissing right on your front steps like get it together um so he kind of comes around cleans himself up and he finds his own purpose as well uh and i was very very happy to see that he did get a happy ending um he found a companion that he can trust he found Mm -hmm people that were worth fighting for and of course you know we got the band back together with him and Saifa and uh Trevor so and Trevor Trevor's arc and and his his hurrah moment uh, at the very end of episode nine when <laughs> he's literally fighting death and it's just kind of like he knew he was gonna die because they totally had a Han and Leia moment where he was like I love you. And she was like, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's just watching him fight death. Like he looked like he was on his last legs and he turned it all around and ended up, you know, coming out on the other side. That also put a little tear in my eye because I thought for sure, like, <laughs> oh, he ain't coming back from that. Uh, but of course yeah. it, it is, uh, again, we got very happy ending. So he did survive thanks to selfish Mr. St. Germain. Um, so it was, it was good to see, like I said, everything gets wrapped up. So Trevor and Saifa have their happy ending. They, uh, she winds up pregnant and so they're going to have a kid. Alucard finds a nice, strong woman to settle down with. So he's happy. And again, they've moved a village. So they're going to start up a village near the castle. So Alucard won't be so lonely anymore. Um, Hector is... Who knows what Hector's going to do? I, you know, I'm, I never quite forgave Hector <laughs> for being the sort of weak-willed lackey that he was. Uh, but Lenore took, uh, followed in Carmilla's footsteps pretty much. And she was like, I don't have a purpose here anymore. I'm sorry. And so she, she's like, you know what? I'm going to go find out what sunsets are all about. Cause uh, why the hell not? So she kills herself. 
Um, so the only two vampires to get a happy ending are Striga and Morana, because they they had been sent off by Carmilla to kind of oversee the ground war. And when they come back to the castle, they can see that the castle was under siege. Right. And Morana is kind of like, well, before we step into the castle and start fighting people, how about we just not? <laughs> and Striga's like, yeah, okay, sure. Let's let's do that. And so they literally just take the army and go someplace else. And they're playing, fuck it, you guys deal with whatever's going on in the castle, but I'm not about to go up there. Um, so I just, I loved it. Like I said, everybody gets an ending. Uh, it was it was satisfying. Not, I didn't I didn't feel like I lost anything. I didn't feel like they left anything on the table. They literally laid it all out there. And instead of being mean, like sometimes you know these creators can be, they didn't kill off anybody willy nilly. No one no one died frivolously. It wasn't like, and and I think I'm so used to that happening that I was expecting it. Like there were several points when whenever, <laughs> and of course it always revolved around Isaac. Whenever he was fighting with like the band of the night creatures and all this stuff, I was like, oh my god, oh no! It's or like there was a scene where he was talking to Hector after the big fight, and it was very calm and very quiet. And in fact, he was even making a lot like he was cutting limes, which is what the pirate captain taught him in season three with to put the lime in the water. Um, so it was just like, oh no, something's gonna happen. Something's gonna come through the window and like Isaac is just gonna die for no reason, like right in the middle of him giving this amazing speech. And that didn't happen, thankfully. Um, so it was just, it was such a gratifying end. And it's so rare these days to, for something to end. And when it ended, it, I wasn't like, oh man, that, I wish they had done this. And I wish they had done that. Like this, this was perfect in, to me. Season four of Castlevania was perfect. Okay, now you you guys talk. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was waiting for Stevens jumping. Go on, Steven. You go. Uh, we could. Well, um, yeah. It's honestly, um, like I kind of said the last time I talked about Castlevania. It's I have always loved Castlevania as a as a intellectual property <laughs> to to be prissy about it. But I, um, yeah. It, this is far and away the best um, translation of a, of a game property or, or any like world um, into an animated world that, that I, that, that I can think of Batman, the animated series, maybe withstanding, but, mm-hmm. um, and this season was, you know, it's, um, I really love season one. Uh, I thought it did a really great job setting up the, the tone and the world and um, <clears throat> establishing the characters in a compelling way. Um, and, uh, this season did it, it, it paid off all of the setups of the last mm-hmm. three seasons. And that's really difficult to do in a yeah. cohesive way that doesn't exactly. feel rushed or like, or shallow. And, um, actually the, a lot of the setups in, in the previous seasons, they paid off in such a gratifying way. They made me yeah. like characters that I never liked. Um, like who? And in season three. Yeah. Well, I, on the opposite end of that season three i i thought saint germain was very um interesting and kind of a a, a neat character and his his uh, obsession with um ah, what is the name of the void oh the infinite corridor. Um, infinite, yeah, infinite corridor yeah. there you go the infinite corridor and you know his desire to get back there and mm-hmm. and uh, i thought that was that was an interesting character and then i hated him in yeah. this season exactly <laughs> he, yeah um but see, that's that's one of the most compelling parts of the series. It um, 
you know, the characters change mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and that's hard to pull off uh, most of the time without it looking like poor writing. But exactly. Just, that's the thing. Like, yeah, they, they change and you change your opinion of them. But it, it felt yeah. natural. It, it never felt yeah. like I don't think that this character would have done that. Like, there is never a point yeah. in time where I said anything like that, because everything that happened, good, bad or otherwise, was very on yeah. point with what that character would have normally done. Yeah, well, and it's like, okay, so like St. Germain changed because the price for the one thing he wanted more than anything mm-hmm. increased and he had to decide if he was willing to pay it. So he said it, he decided he was willing to pay it and force the rest of the world to pay it too. And then you have Trevor who has to reevaluate if he's actually going to embrace the legacy of his family mm-hmm. or if he is going to resign himself to just being a useless drunk. Right. And over the course of the, you know, his interaction with Saifa and her perspective on him. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's insinuated that, that the fact that someone that he considers so virtuous um, loves him, that is what changes him. Right. And then Alucard, the funny thing is Alucard and, and Isaac um, have a similar trajectory. Yes. And they respond to it differently. Yes. You know what I mean? Like Isaac starts his life being betrayed and belittled and marginalized and v- victimized. And that forces, that leads him down a path of just finding no value in humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's not until he runs into one of these useless humans, the captain, that just asks him questions. Right. And that's the thing with Isaac. Every time, every time he has a critical scene, it's questions. Yes. And his core motivation is just the truth. Right. And, and I think he, that's what made that scene so powerful at the, in the first yeah. episode when he's talking to the night creature, the one night creature that can actually speak. And that night creature yeah, is that kind is awesome. of like, what are we doing? Like, why are we rebuilding the city? Yeah. Night, we're night creatures. We destroy shit. And Isaac is literally yeah. just like, have a berry. And he's like, I don't want any yeah. berries, man. I'm trying to ask you, like, why are we, why are we rebuilding when we should be destroying? And literally yeah. just that night creature asking Isaac that question opened the door, the yeah. night creature had a berry, then he had another berry, and then he had another berry. And it was kind of like, yep. that's that's the influence of this character. <laughs> like when you sit there and you finally think about something or you've been sitting in it for so long. And, and, yeah. and that was an important scene too, because Isaac basically told the night creature, you think that destroying is all you're good at because people have always told you that that's all you're good at. And he's like, but yeah. have you ever tried anything else? Have you ever yeah. tried to do anything else? And so that's kind of, that's the, that starts him on his journey to his own agency, but it's it, that, taking back your own autonomy is, is just the best part of Isaac's character. And, and the way that he actually like gives that quality to other characters throughout the series is also kind of fascinating the way that they wrote that. Like you're literally like you're having a civilized conversation with a freaking hell spawn, basically like sharing berries. And it's, and it's so natural and, and it doesn't feel awkward. And it's literally, you ask the night creature a question, like you destroy because they told you that that's what you do. But what if I told you that you could do something different? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and it, the, the story I, I felt like just paid off in in really great ways and then I'll, the the animation the illustration, um, I just felt like it was um, it was even better than it had been. Yep. Um, like the creature, the creature design of the, the night creatures, you know, each one is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like they were 
they were more um, thoughtfully designed this season. And, uh, and honestly, Varney, um, when he becomes death, yeah, the design of death I didn't see that is, coming. I didn't either, actually. And I, um, and that's funny because death is an integral part of the game series. Yeah, um, like more than once, he's he's allied or or contrary to, to Dracula, and mm. Dracula is always this un- unstoppable force, even more powerful than death. Um, so it was really it was really cool. And I didn't know this, but Varney was actually like a one of the earliest fictional vampires. Um, there were a series of stories about Varney the vampire. Uh-huh. Uh, so I thought it was kind of cool that it it was so a is Carmilla to, um, a real life. Oh, wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but it hits all of my, the specific things that I'm looking for yeah, in, exactly. when I'm picking up a show, you know? So yeah. it was, it was very much a Jasmine show, like a hundred percent. I know, you know, not, not everybody would agree, but if, if you weren't already on the Castlevania train, then, you know, there's nothing that this fourth season could have done to pull you in. But if you have been a fan and you have been enjoying the first three seasons, there's no reason why you would not like the fourth season. Yeah. 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 And it's honestly, um, game. Of, it reminds me a bit of game of Thrones, um, a more streamlined, easier to follow kind of, um, situation in the final season, especially when all these different powers are culminating to, mm-hmm. to figure out where the destiny of the world is going to go. Yeah. I can see what you mean about the Game of Thrones thing because um, Game of Thrones starts like you know season one with a lot of the characters all together, and that they don't meet up again until the sort of last two seasons. You start to see you know like um, Jon Snow and um, oh, I've forgotten his, his sisters' names, but the two sisters and they meet again in the uh, yeah the the penultimate season, and then uh, you sort of you know yeah. in the final season it's like everything sort of comes together and there this is a yeah like you say this kind of a, like an easier to follow version of a uh, uh, Game of Thrones and um yeah one that actually sticks know. the landing Game of Thrones was alright it wasn't <laughs> as it, it, yeah it's, I think it would have been better for the book to have come out first <laughs> uh, <laughs> then everyone could have said oh the book was brilliant but no one will know now so anyway um. So Castlevania, I, I I think from memory, I said I didn't like season one. Uh, and then season two, I actually did like. And then season three was my favourite of, of them all. And then mm-hmm. season four came out. And actually, I did really enjoy season four. And I, I like the fact that, um, and this is a big criticism for, for so many franchises, that they kind of like have this great run, blah, 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 get, get to the end. And, you know, then they end up as a number jack in a in a, in a woodland somewhere and like you know (laughs) and um throw their sister into throw their sister into a storm or something and then right off into a hurricane yeah yeah what i liked with this though (laughs) that everything did get tied up nicely and that's what you want you don't want these weird cryptic endings where you're like oh i wonder what happened there sometimes it's okay like sometimes it's okay like to have those endings like and I mean, even I know this isn't anywhere on the same scale, but like Friends went on for 10 seasons and you followed those six characters for 10 years of their life from probably 24 to 34 and of their of their sort of single through to settling down period of life. And then you just see them all walk down through the hallway down the stairs. And I said sometimes I said, like, I've seen that last episode a couple of times and I'm like, you know, I want to know what happens. And like, like, we've had this conversation. She's like, yeah, but you don't need to know what happens. Like, yeah. you know, they've kind of established what they're going to do. And, and you know, you followed them for those 10 years and and kind of, you know, it's a little bit open to interpretation that, you know, where, where are they going to, 
you kind of know a little bit about where they're going to go, but it's not, it's not always necessary. So like what I liked with Castlevania was that actually all of the characters did get some sort of closure, yeah. like whether that was dying from a sunset or dying mm-hmm. from they decided to blow themselves up or, or whether it was Trevor just rocking up on a horse and, um, uh, and, you know, getting the nice ending with, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, oh, I forgot her name. What's the girl called? Uh, uh, Cypher. Cypher, yeah, yeah. So, and um, so him and Cypher, and I, to be honest, I said, I'm pretty sure I said this last time, Cypher is my favourite character out of the whole of Castlevania. Just doesn't give a shit. Like, and, and she um, is also oh. a very bad bitch in this fourth season. Like, her <laughs> ice and her fire are just, like, Damn. Like her fighting skills have improved tremendously over the course of the four seasons. Yeah, I think she definitely. So that's when I said about spin off earlier. I would love to see a Trevor and Cypher show, like just those two. No dice. That's probably that's probably my biggest criticism. Actually, I didn't find that they had enough of those two characters in this fourth season. Those only because those are my favorite characters, mm-hmm. like in the in the thing. So in the show, I those are my favorites, and I think this is a, a criticism of many final seasons there's so much to wrap up that right. you have to kind of cover everybody and where they were trying to cover everybody's ending not everybody got as much screen time as they probably could have done but and i think they I did it well to- as a like instead of drawing everything out and trying to conclude 10 storylines in the last two episodes isaac's story ends at episode six like mm. we're done we're done with isaac he has gotten his ending and he is he has decided i'm gonna live like that's how this is going to be and that yeah. was it so we didn't have to worry about going back to the castle to deal with anything that Isaac had going on because we're done with it. So I, I appreciate it that they didn't draw things out for no reason. Like there, like like you said, it it got to the point where this story has come to a conclusion. We we have taken this character as far as we're going to take this character, so we're done. So so what if he's not in the last four episodes, but we had a good six episode run and it's all. Oh, wrapped no, up. I was happy with that. I was happy yeah. with that. Bit. No, but I, I'm, I'm saying like a lot of times they drag it out for no reason. And and mm. when you start to drag things out, like you start adding all of these story elements that are irrelevant to the actual plot of this this one character. So I did appreciate that. Of course, I was bummed out because Isaac's my favorite character. Um, but again, wrapped it up. Nice, neat bow. And I was very, very happy with his ending. So it didn't bother me that he was not in the last four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Dracula? Not really. (laughs) 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 I I, 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 know. So obviously the whole season was really about him coming back to life. Like, you know, that was kind of the, the overall plot. And then... I, I so I was a bit like when when that final episode happened and obviously you see a little bit of him through the infinite corridor with his wife mm-hmm. and then and then when they kind of everything's wrapping up wrapping up wrapping up and I was like so what happened to Dracula mm-hmm. I was like I was actually thinking like so what happened with Dracula and I was like well, maybe maybe he never came back to life I was like maybe that was it and I and I I I remember always watching um uh some sort of making of see i think it was season two of 24 and i think it was like one of the showrunners and he said when you say something's going to happen in a show it has to happen right now it doesn't necessarily have to happen how the audience might think it's going to happen but it has to happen Mm -hmm. and that's always stuck with me and that was like season two of 24 i don't know how long ago that was like 15 plus years ago and in season two basically what it was was a nuclear bomb was going to go off 
and it did go off, but they didn't go off in the city. They managed to take it out to sea or something like that. And it, and it's still all the desert or somewhere. I can't remember. They, so the bomb still went off. It just didn't kill people. So, so they didn't let the audience down. The bomb still went off. So the whole thing, like the whole premise of, you know, literally them saying Dracula's going to come back to life, Dracula's going to come back to life. So throughout season four, I started to think, well, what's going to happen? Like, you know, it's just, I kind of what I initially had it set up in my mind was that Dracula was going to come back to life and him and Lenore, uh, Lenore and Camilla, uh, Camilla were going to have a big standoff. That's what I kind of thought. I thought Camilla's going to get this whole, going to get most of her way, I thought, you know, going to kind of really, you know, be winning. Mm-hmm. And then when they killed Camilla off, I was like, okay, so that's not going to happen then. <laughs> um, like, and I, couldn't just, I couldn't quite figure out where they were going with this whole bringing Dracula back thing. And I thought you're running out of episodes now because if Dracula's going to come back and suddenly want to kick everyone's ass and and start his whole plan again, I was like, you, you're going to you're going to rushed ending, you know, you're going to you're going to be be a lumberjack in the end, like. And yeah. um, so, however, how, however, when they sort of almost the moment before the curtain comes up, and suddenly when they see those two people walking down the street, and I was like, ah. Oh. I was like, <laughs> he is back. Yeah. And like, I kind of love that though. I thought it was quite a sweet ending, like yeah. to see him and his wife like together in, in a little hotel room and yeah. Um and you know, kind of a little bit alluding to what, what's gonna happen to them. A bit like I guess a bit like that friends ending that I mentioned a minute ago. You kind of just a little bit alluding. Right. They said about telling their son and they were like, maybe maybe at some point, but not but right not now. But not right now. Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. that like you so, said, that was really sweet because they I I think I think Dracula just loved his wife so much. Like he loved Lisa Tepesh so much that once he had her back, uh, he was like, yeah, okay, fine. We'll wait. It's fine. It's no big deal. As long as the two of us are together, then I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do, but I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, now the, you said you thought that he was going to come back and have this big, massive fight. I thought when they brought him back, or try to bring him back. I thought he would be the type to like, before they reveal that they're going to put two souls in one body. I was like, they're going to reach out to Dracula and he's going to be like, fuck you guys. I'm staying right here where I am because I have Lisa back and I don't care what happens on your world. Cause I'm exactly where I want to be. I thought he would refuse to come back. Or at least if, if they did bring him back forcefully, then he would kill the people that brought him back and try to get back to his wife. But I kind of like this ending a lot better. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. actually quite well, a nice sweet ending. Yeah. Well, once you, I mean, honestly, they, they concluded his arc, like with him, with him allowing Alucard to kill him. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty succinct and like final yes. destination for what he, you know what I mean? It was the yeah. epiphany of everything. Because he, he had already had his full circle. Like he had already come mm-hmm. all the way around. Yeah. 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 It's like, to me, if they had actually brought him back in, that would have been a sign of really weak writing. Like, yeah. well, we don't know what to do now, so we're going to bring back the biggest thing that right. we possibly but, can. But you didn't and actually by, need him, and that was the thing. And they, yeah, they knew that, exactly, and they yeah. stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I would have been honestly, disappointed if it had been the last three episodes of them having to fight Dracula again. It's like, yeah. oh, we already did this in season yeah. two, yeah. so it was it was a much yeah. better way of handling bringing him back, and um, and actually kind of brought the whole show full circle really like yeah. just the show started with the two of them with him meeting and then and then you get to see them for like two minutes in episode one of season one and then suddenly we're we're getting 
you know people killed on spires and all the rest of it and she, she gets killed and and you know we spend season one kind of dealing with her death and so to actually come back around to both of them being alive and actually in a hotel room it you know it was a weird thing it made me think of um uh a discovery of witches like oh. and, um it made yeah. me think of that show a little bit like um so yeah it could be the beginning of a really nice relationship between the two two of them again you know getting to to live their life together and yeah i'm sure that's again not a spin-off that we're gonna see like i don't think they're gonna go and show but what again like you don't to. you don't need to you don't like, need to you don't need right. to yeah the fact that they're happy together is hmm. is enough and you know to your point when you said if you keep telling people that this thing is going to happen then it has to happen now how it happens is completely up to you that is the one thing that I love the most about the Terminator franchise because they spend so much time trying to stop Skynet from going live and they never do. So from the very first movie, they tell you Skynet goes live on this day at this time. And then, you know, the world goes to hell from there. Well, in the third movie, which is not very good, but the third movie, they get to this bunker and they had all this build up like, oh my God, they're finally going to stop Skynet. And fucking Skynet was like, no, man, I got this. And Skynet goes live anyway. And I was like, this is the only good thing about this third film, like in this, in this franchise is that Skynet still happens. And, and, and you're absolutely right about that. Like if, if you base your entire story arc on this event happens, and you, like, it doesn't matter. You time travel, you do all of these things. It doesn't matter what you do. This event happens. So you're going to have to learn to deal with it. And that was one of those moments where like in the theater, everybody was like, no. And I was like, yes, kind of still happened. <laughs> like the, the, the integrity of the franchise is still intact because the one thing that we've been talking about since literally 1984 is, is still playing out in 1998, you know? Huh yeah so anyway I, I think overall we all enjoyed Castlevania season four and uh Jasmine obviously loved it and uh <laughs> Stephen did you love it uh, I did yeah it, like I said it's um I won't say that everyone will love it but like it hits everything that I want in no, I, I, so, I, I did love I did love it I thought it was a good season I thought yeah. definitely I definitely would say with Castlevania it's got better with every season um, I, 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 I mean, to be honest, I said this when I was watching Line of Duty the other day. Season one of Line of Duty was awful, but I pushed through it and got an amazing seasons two to six. Like you know, and I, yeah. and again, I think Castlevania season one to me was very rushed and disjointed, and I still stand by what I said. But I actually have every season season two onwards. I have enjoyed season three. I thought before season four came out, I thought season three was the best because I actually was enjoying seeing what all the characters got up to without the threat of sort of war looming over them. And mm-hmm. then season four, I thought actually did a really good job of bringing of wrapping everything up and bringing everything full circle and gave it some nice end. gave it a really nice ending as well. So yeah. I was really yeah. nervous that four would not deliver or, you know, that I had built up my love of the franchise too much and that I would let myself down because I had these high expectations. But let me tell you, as a fan of the series, uh, my expectations were still like, it still exceeded my own expectations for, for what I expected yeah. from the fourth season. Like it, oh, it, of, well, I was gonna say one thing I wanted to yeah. add though, like the artwork and stuff, obviously the animation I really enjoy, but it's got me really excited for um, Master of the Universe coming out at the end of July. So it's the same team that are putting together 
five episodes of Masters of the Universe in July. Yeah. So powerhouse animation is the studio behind it. So it's got me pumped for He Man's return. I was yeah. a He Man fan as a kid, so <laughs> to see if if they can put this kind of content out, like I want to see what they can do with Masters of the Universe. So. Well, it's got, I, I, like, got amazing voice cast as well, Master of the Universe. So it's with the art yeah. and the and the voice cast, it's going to be great. Yeah, well, we're all excited to see the bowl cut back. <laughs> 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 well, I will, say, I will say too. I, t- I feel like Castlevania. It you have to. It's one of those shows that you your fondness of it kind of increases the more time you spend with it because yeah. it's like. Mm. It, it it really was not what I expected. Um, I expected like a very straightforward adventure story. And this was really an epic. Yeah. Um, from the moment that Dracula declares war and sends the night beasts out in season one, it, it the scale of it is, is pretty tremendous. I wasn't expecting that from Castlevania. Castlevania has always been about one, one vampire hunter right. going after they you know, took a very a, a simple, simple story, a very simple game concept, and they made, they built this world around it to give life yeah. to the concept of, of itself, as opposed to staying like true to the games. They they took yeah. the concept of the game and they made it into something much greater. So yeah, they, this whole team, I mean, kudos. Like, I I have been super impressed. It probably. Uh, probably my favorite netflix series if i'm if i'm gonna go ahead and throw that out there favorite original netflix series castlevania so yeah well you we well, we rated it five out of five and um it's nice to finally bring it to a close like, it was good that we we did it during uh, february we did seasons one to three and you can go back and listen to those episodes if you want to hear yes. what we thought of the first episodes 35 36 and 37 like you got it right in front of you. Well done. <laughs> and uh, and then issue and then issue episode fifty one. We bring bring the uh, franchise to a close. Yep. And I'm sure if they do expand their universe, that we will no doubt cover those too. Yeah, we'll so be back. as we as we start to bring our show to a close, we'd love to give some recommendations. We'll be um, they're not reviews; they're just sort of brief little things that we may have watched or read or something or other this week. And I was kind of looking for a substitute for my line of duty that I've been binging in the last two weeks. So you'll be pleased to know that I actually finished line of duty last Sunday and I'm actually quite relieved that I finished it now. Um, I'm, I've done all, I've done all six seasons in two weeks. It was hard going, I'll be honest. Um, but I, I got there and um, yeah, I'm really pumped for season seven now, but anyway, so my recommendation for this week is the first season of Clarice uh, I've only watched the first four episodes. It's Silence of the Lambs spin-off set in the 90s. And I'm sure most people have seen Silence of the Lambs and probably all the other films that have come out around it. But I, I'm actually I'm actually loving this. I, I, can't, I didn't write down the star of the show, her name, the actress. But I what impressed me the most is that she's Australian. Uh, has been in Australian soaps. And she's doing such a good sort of um i don't know what the diet what accent is but it sounds like a southern american accent or something yes. like that clarice and, was uh, very southern and um and i was like she's so good like the accent uh, and that's what i say i love it when you know someone is from another country and they're putting on an accent which uh, to me i'm not a southern american but it sounded really good to me and um i thought it's got a really great cast and i'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm only four episodes in, but I'm like, I want to carry on going with this. So, 
That's mine. That's my recommendation. Uh, my recommendation this week uh, is another podcast, actually. It is the Good Game Guys podcast, and I got to hang out with them a couple of nights ago. We were talking Mass Effect, the Legendary Edition. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's it's all that's Mass Effect is my favorite franchise, my favorite game franchise. So any excuse to chat about Mass Effect, I am so down for. Um, it was a lot of fun, and of course, we talk about the very very important questions from Mass Effect, like alien sex. Yeah, we went there, um, <laughs> and of course, we do talk about the endings of uh, Mass Effect Three, the RGB endings <laughs> as they're called. Um, so yeah, I would recommend checking that out. It's going to be out in a couple of weeks, so we'll we'll be sure to share it on our channels too, so you guys can check it out if you're fans of Mass Effect. Yeah, and um, over the last few weeks, I've been binging YouTube videos about Biomutant, which is a, it's an RPG, um, kind of a fantasy, uh, dark future uh, where you play a kind of a little rodent. Um, it's not out yet, comes out May 25th. I've been, it's one of the rare games that I've fully pre-ordered, like paid the whole price because I'm <laughs> excited about it. Anyway, but in the meantime, I was jonesing for an RPG and um, I have settled in on Fallout 4, which um, I, I think a lot of people kind of skipped it because like Fallout 3 and, and um, Fallout New Vegas were such like um, impressive, like they left such a legacy that like when Fallout 4 came out, a lot of people didn't feel like it lived up to it, but um, it's an awesome game. It's um, It's got a lot of depth to it. The one thing that stinks is like right out of the gate, you have to, your kid gets kidnapped and then they and then it's a um, it's a Bethesda RPG, which means they want you to piddle around, killing things and building things. And it's like, okay, you're kind of putting me in a box here where I'm sp I'm supposed to feel this sense of urgency to go find my kid, but you also want me to. But you got to do side quests first. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I actually hate the main storyline, but it, but nobody makes a a just piddle around on side quest game for me like bethesda so anyway fallout 4 is what i'm i'm messing around with right now and don't forget we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time uh, episode six was akira volume one by kazuhiro otomo and our next book club episode is going to be they call this enemy by george takei justin eisinger and steve scott you can follow us on social media with geeks unleashed on instagram facebook and twitter yeah and don't forget, you can listen to the podcast on Podbean, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, really anywhere that you can find podcasts, Geeks Unleash lives. Uh, give us a five-star review and share us with your other geeky friends. Uh, growing is not as easy as it looks, and uh, we would love your help. Yes, definitely. See you later. Cheers. Have a good week. Bye. Have a great week.